This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and did he make the catch? He did! He got it! Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive! He crushed it! It's a grand slam! Swing it a miss, strike three, it's over! The Red Sox have won the world championship! Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 100 and I think 54th edition of the Benny and the Bets podcast. Not lying, it might be 155, so bear with me. I, I clearly didn't have my shit together there. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're going to be obviously talking Red Sox baseball tonight as usual. Uh, plenty of maybe trade talk, uh, pitching talk, bullpen talk as well. For those of you uh, staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on Spotify, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link to Apple Podcasts is right up above your video window. Red Sox just wrapped a three-game set against the Tampa Bay Rays, taking two out of three. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and Matt Clark. And I will also note we are not podcasting under protest tonight. It is a normal podcast. How are you guys? I'm all right. I'm uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a little bit uh, confused as to how I feel. I, last night I was flying high after the Sox win. Today I'm feeling like I don't know where I'm at. So I'm not. Uh, but all things considered, not not too bad, I suppose. All right. Well, Matt, um, see, the audience, what the audience didn't know about the last two shows is, you know, we were, they probably knew we were looking for a co-host, but uh, they didn't know that we were necessarily trying you out two shows ago and with the other candidate uh, in the last show, but... You uh, came out on top, and uh, you'll be with us now uh, on the early week edition, as I call it. But uh, why don't you tell the audience who you are and uh, what brought you here? Yeah, so uh, lifelong Red Sox fan. Uh, grew up in upstate New York, um, you know, right outside uh, Watkins Glen, New York, uh, not too far from uh, Elmira, New York which uh, at the time in the 80s, uh, when I was growing up, that was a single-A affiliate for the Red Sox. So got to go watch a lot of the games, uh, watch a lot of these guys come up through the system. Um, You know, I was kind of born into a Red Sox family. My my father was a big Red Sox fan. Um, My my mother, my whole family is all Red Sox fans. And uh, I went to my first game. I think I was about six months old, and I've just – 
follow the Sox religiously uh, all my life. Uh, my kids are brainwashed to be Red Sox fans, so uh, I've got three children. Uh, we watch all the games, listen to the games. So this is, uh, you know, kind of grew up talking baseball with all my friends uh, all all the time. So this is kind of a natural fit for me. I heard about it, applied, and you know, some excellent candidates, and and you know, we uh, here we are now. So it's worked out well I'm, I'm super excited to get going on this and and really uh see what i can add to the show hopefully it's uh that's a decent amount and everybody's happy well we're certainly happy to have you and uh sometimes it uh can be pretty intense so uh sometimes you'll have to buckle up but uh yeah so let's get into the show shall we uh like i said red sox took two out of three Red Sox are probably still in the buyers category with uh, a lot of it open to interpretation, but uh, plenty of good things uh, came from the series. So, Jeremy, go ahead, uh, lead us off with your hero. So I went with uh, JD just because two things. One, he had a great series. He went 7 of 13 with four RBIs in the home run. Um, but two, if this thing's going to be what we want it to be, he's got to be a catalyst. And so uh, we talked uh, extensively for about a month that we thought maybe he had a hand or a wrist injury because he just didn't look right at the plate. Um, hit a hit a ball to right center uh, for the bomb. Um, you know, just seemed to be using all parts of the ballpark. Um, and then again, over 500 for the series. So a uh, real impressive series by JD. Nice to see him hit a big fly. And then <clears throat> generally speaking, this has to continue, obviously not at a plus 500 batting average, but he's got to be a catalyst to get this thing going. So JD's my hero for, for this series. Yeah. It, you know, nice to see him kind of in between, you know, Devers and, and Bogarts and, you know, if those three and Mookie as well has, you know, had July's probably been his best month of the year. So that whole first half of the order is uh, looking really good. And like you said, you know, JD's kind of in the heart of it. And the the better and more productive he is, the you know, the more runs we're gonna put up. Uh, Matt, any thoughts on Martinez? No, I mean, he's looked a little bit better. Um, you know, I, I, I was actually reading uh, today that, um, you know, it obviously isn't as, as solid as he was last year, but some of that is being attributed to the fact that um, one of his hitting coaches um, that, that he's used for a while uh, took a job with the Dodgers, and he hasn't had him this year. And so he hasn't been able to bounce some of the stuff off of him and, and really talk to him about some of the hitting approaches like he has in the past. And that's why he hasn't been quite as dominant as, you know, he was last year and, and some of the previous years. Not that he's played well. I mean, he's still hitting almost 300. Um, home runs are a little bit down. Some of the, some of the production's down a bit. But, um, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's been sitting here as an MVP candidate for a number of years, uh, just a, a top of the line hitter. So, you know, when he's not at the MVP caliber, we're, we're talking about a, a, a little bit of less production. Um, 
but he's he's still one of the best hitters in baseball and it's good to see him kind of pick it up i mean hit 538 in the series that's that's a solid turnaround it i guess the one thing i i'd like to see from him it i don't feel like you know i, I feel like the production when it has been there it hasn't been in those clutch moments as much as it was last year um it's about my only knock, but I mean, he's he's still been a solid producer. I, I you really can't gripe too much about what he's done this year. Yeah, I was just noticing only two home runs uh, so far in the entire month of July. So hopefully, uh, you know, this series is kind of a springboard. You know, and and if he's really fired up, you know, a, a good New York series uh, could could set the tone for the final. You know, 58-59 games for sure. So, uh, drove in, uh, let's see, what was it, five uh, runs, four runs this series. So, still, you know, pretty good series. Um, Matt, go ahead. Who do you have? Um, Since I didn't select him last time and I felt like, you know, he went kind of unnoticed in the the last episode that I was on, uh, I got to go with my boy, Rafael Devers. Went four for fourteen, you know, good for a two eighty six average this series. Not uh, not massive, but I mean, he had three runs, a home run, four RBIs. Um, I'm sorry, he didn't have a home run, but he had he had four RBIs. Uh, he seemed like the guy that was getting the big hits throughout the series this time. I mean, that's that that seems to be series after series with Devers this year. I mean, the guy's been unbelievable. Um, Time he comes up, it seems like he's he's getting a big hit. He's just locked in. Uh, I hope that this is what we have to look forward to for a long time uh, with him and Bogarts uh, on the left side of the infield. Guys, just been incredible. Jeremy, I mean, you can't disagree with that. He's a ton of fun to watch. Uh, constantly smiling, plays hard. You know, improved defense. Every 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 ball in the strike zone is the potential for a hard hit ball somewhere. He's an electric factory. So, I mean, to me, he's a no brainer. He's been he's been a ton of fun. He's probably your best player right now. Um, and uh, I'm excited to see how he finishes the season and uh, you know sets himself up for what looks like a pretty long productive career. So, I mean, I don't really how anyone could disagree with that. It just seems like whenever he comes up to bat and there's a runner in scoring position, it's almost automatic that he's going to drive them in. And I'm sure it's not quite that automatic, but I always feel really good, you know, about that scenario when he comes to the plate. And he's uh, driven in uh, 77 on the year. I think these are actually from yesterday, but I'll just go with it. 77 on the year. Um 20 home runs. He's he's only a few RBIs behind Mike Trout. So I think we're entering into serious MVP conversation here. And, and probably no worse than top three. Yeah, I, I mean, he leads all third basemen in almost every cat offensive category out there. Um and he's, I believe he's second in the team in stolen bases too, which was not something I would have kind of <laughs> exactly. tabbed him for this year. I think he's only behind bats. Uh, 
think Betts has 12 and, and uh, Devers has eight, which is incredible to think of because he doesn't look like a guy who's uh, exactly a speed demon on the bases. I mean, I look, I, I don't know that he's there. Uh, Trout, Trout is at a 1.110 OPS. Um, George, uh, I mean, it just, he's having a real good year. He, him not making the all-star team is kind of weird. He's 13th in Major League Baseball in OPS. Um, he's been really, really good. I do think he's a top 10 MVP. I don't know that I'm ready to put him in that spot. But one thing that's holding him back from the, that sort of yearly award is the fact that the first month he just didn't slug at all. Um, but now that he is, I mean, he, you know, and by the way, if he continues this projection and is slugging at this unreal clip, he may overcome his slow first month and, and put himself in the conversation. I just think we're... I think we're a little bit shy of that conversation, in my opinion. Well, I think the other thing that's going to hurt him is you've got Xander Bogarts having just as big of a year, and I think they may take votes away from each other. I mean, last year he didn't have that so much with Betts and, and J.D. Martinez. Obviously, Betts ended up winning it, but it's uh, – I mean, you look, really, the top three are Trout, Devers, and, and Bogarts. Um you know, the LeMahieu is it's probably got to get some consideration too. He's been unbelievable this year, but I mean, uh, if you look at it, Devers has more runs. Um, he's right. He's right on Trout's tail on as far as RBIs. They're they're tied in stolen bases, and he, he's about twenty six points higher, I think, in, in batting average coming into the day. And you know, obviously, Trout has the thirteen more home runs, but. And to your point, Jeremy, a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that I think the first month, I don't even know if he had a home run the first month, month and a half of the season. He just, there was no power. He was hitting the ball. He was getting the RBIs, but just zero power. So, I mean, the fact that he's he's caught up in all those categories and, and has 20 on the year at this point is just a testament to how hot he's gotten, you know, since that first month and a half. Uh, Xander's numbers, or go ahead. Yeah. No, I just want to say I said top ten. I meant top five. I mean, look, he is—he's there, right? Like, but despite the fact that he has thirty more hits than Trout, his OPS is uh, eighty points lower. He's slugging a hundred points lower. His on-base percentage is seventy points lower. His average is thirty points lower. I think average is the least important of of the 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 four I just mentioned. And then with Trout with the 33 bombs, you know, that's that's an eye-popping stat. Um, but I do want to, like, point out some of the other things. So, you know, Devers is 30 uh, doubles. Trout has 21. Um, he's got 128 hits. Trout has 99. He's scored 80 runs. Trout's right there with him. I mean, it's, it's really, really impressive. It's just, you, can't, you know, as far as an MVP, uh, the other thing is that uh, George Springer's right there as far as the numbers that I've been mentioning. And then Xander has actually been, you know, besides uh, the average, he's 10 points lower than the average. He's been he's better on base. Uh, his slugging is the exact same, and he's 30 points better OPS. So you made a point there that, that rings pretty true in my mind, which is 
Xander and, and Devers being so close as far as production is going to hurt. I, to me, it's Trout's award to lose, and this isn't the MVP prediction podcast, but but it's to me, it's Trout's award to lose, and I, I just don't think, barring health concerns, that's it's going to happen. He's the best player in baseball. He remains the best player in baseball. He is as good as he's ever been, despite the massive contract. So I, you know, um, I just don't, I just don't see it. But but that doesn't mean that Devers. Um, rise hasn't been really really impressive especially defensively yeah and uh devers does have bogarts in the stolen base category but looking at their wars i don't know how you guys stand on that um i'm not crazy about that category but a lot of the mvp voters might be and uh devers currently 3.8 Trout is 6.6. So that's a a wide enough discrepancy, I guess, for now. And, uh, you know, whether Devers can just go out of his mind and and make the case. If he can get a little closer, maybe he can win over some of the people that, you know, that value players that got their team into the playoffs. And that's assuming we even do. But, you know, maybe he can sway some of those guys. I don't know. But I think he's he's a bona fide top three candidate anyway. And I think even though his numbers are very uh, similar to Bogart's, I think where he did have that slow month and, and then he's kind of caught fire, I do expect that, that Devers will uh, likely set himself apart. Uh, from Bogarts over the the next couple of months, I think his pace is a is a little bit more intense from you know from mid May up until now. And one other thing that comes to mind here, you know, when we look at the slow start that Devers had, it, his offense is really timed with his defense. You know, he I didn't think he was going to have that drastic of a turnaround defensively because. On some of those earlier shows, I'm like, well, maybe he's got to go down to the minors to to kind of work it out for two or three weeks, or maybe he needs to take some reps at first base. I, I don't know if I said that on the show or if I said it in live streams, but those were some of the thoughts. And then within the sl- snap of your fingers, he was suddenly extremely solid defensively, and then the offense simultaneously kicked up, so... You know, so we'll see. But you know, I knew Devers had a high ceiling. I didn't think he would he would get there or, or make such a huge leap this year. You know, Bogarts is is a guy that kind of took a while to get to where he was at, and I just thought Devers was maybe one or two more years away. But you know, even top five or six MVP, if that's what you told me at the beginning of the year. I would uh I would have told you you were nuts. So, well, I think the other I I definitely agree with you guys that this is Trout's to lose, and and barring an issue, uh, some major injury, it's probably not going to happen. But the crazy thing is, I mean, you look at Devers; he's six years younger than Trout. I mean, this guy is he's younger than Michael Chavis, who we're talking about as potential Rookie of the Year candidate. The guy's been in the league three years. It seems like he's been around for a little bit, but he's only 22 years old. He doesn't even turn 23 until October. Uh, that's insane. Uh, this guy, uh, to your point, Terry, his defense has gotten significantly better. 
beginning of the year, he looked like a defensive liability, and now all of a sudden he's turned it around. And he's making incredible plays, it seems like, on a regular basis. Uh, and, and those those comments that you're hearing from people about maybe moving him to first base or maybe he's going to be a DH or this or that, that those the, that noise has gone away. Uh, the guy is just uh, – his all-around game has just become incredible and – I look forward to, like I say, like I said earlier, watching that left side of the infield for years to come. It's it's an impressive young infield. If any player is going to be in extension talks this winter, I hope it's him. <laughs> you know, the Mookie. Who knows what might have been with Mookie? It sounds like the whole time he probably wanted to go to free agency. But I hope I hope they're smart with Devers and and lock him up for a long time. You know, the Braves got a steal for Ronald Acuna. I don't think the Red Sox will will be that lucky, but, you know, I just, I hope he's a huge priority this winter, uh, regardless. Any more Terry, thoughts? your hero? Uh, mine is, uh, I'm just going to, take some low-hanging fruit for once and go with uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. Extremely solid again, you know, and continually every series, he's the, um, you know, he's the one guy I feel good about every time. You know, Sale was coming off a, a great start in, in, in the last series, and I thought, you know, well, let's see if he can you know, replicate that, and he, he scuffled a little bit, and Price, I thought, would continue to scuffle, but then the opposite happened with with him, and, but, you know, Erod has been the constant, you know, throughout the, um, you know, the last couple of months anyway, and I said this morning on a live stream, I said, if the wild card game was tomorrow and we had the luxury of choosing who we wanted to pitch it and we might not you know we might need our best pitcher if it comes down to the wire to pitch in game 161 or 162 but if I had the luxury of it I would go with Eduardo Rodriguez and I don't care what anybody else's status is as far as their career as far as how much they're making I'm just I I continue to be extremely impressed with him and <laughs> you know it's it's nice to see I, I just I kind of wish wish the other guys would would be a little more consistent. I had you pegged as a uh, uh, David Price starting your big game guy. I'm kind of <laughs> surprised by the yeah. yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel good about him against National League teams. He pitched well in the World Series, seems to pitch well against the Astros. Uh, But, yeah, I don't – I have a feeling, you know, if we're fortunate enough to still be in the race, I'm going to have trust issues with a lot of people. But, you know, we'll we'll just have to see, I guess. Look, Erod's been great. He is your ace. It's kind of funny. His ERA is still over four despite his um, stellar outing in this series. Um, he still walked four, um, but he gave you a real good start. And one thing that I like that he did is he um, 
he allowed Cora to get a Valdi into the into a game in a low leverage situation, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, so he he, you know, um, gave you a chance to win a game, uh, set the tone for the series. He's been super consistent. I, I mean, I, I expect him to be good every time out now, uh, based on what, what's about a six week what run here. So. Um, his demeanor is really good. The other thing that we're seeing is he's pitching into the seventh uh, every few starts, which he just hasn't done previously in his career. So he's pitching more innings. They're all effective. Um, and, you know, it's it's nice to see in this series where you got good starting pitching from, you know, Erod, Price, and Sale, um, which is probably – well, not probably if the season ended today and you're in a short series. Those are the three guys you're going with. So – um, uh, against a good team, a team that you walked into this series with them ahead of you in the standings. It was nice to see, and uh, I'm excited for his start in the Yankees series. And he does have, we'll get into it later, but he does have really good numbers uh, against them. I was just trying to uh, calculate. Yeah, his ERA in the last six starts, which uh, includes uh, Tampa, Toronto, uh, the Dodgers, and the Yankees. Uh, he has a 1.79 ERA, so he's on pace to to have a hell of a run. And and Jeremy, you uh, you mentioned it's crazy that his ERA is that high. I'm just kind of looking through his season long pitching log, but he's had let's see, he's had five games where he's given up five earned runs or more. And uh, two out of those five games were in his uh, first two starts. So it's just more of, you know, him being really bad on his bad nights and and then, you know, pretty solid on most of the rest. So that's, you know, that's why his numbers are pretty deceiving. Uh, any more thoughts before we uh, shift into zeros? I think you uh, just one more thing. Uh, sure. You hit on a major point that pitching later into the game. I mean, that's that's the critical thing here, and, and that's really been one of the biggest knocks on him uh, for as long as I can remember. Is he, he never seemed to be able to get past fifth inning, and I know eleven out of his last twelve starts, he's gone into the sixth inning, uh, with most of them going into the seventh inning at least. So that's huge, um, especially again for for a bullpen that's been taxed heavily this year. Uh, that's that's about as important as it can get. You, you need some guys that will eat innings. It doesn't seem like any of the Red Sox pitchers have been able to do that this year. So very critical in addition to being as good as he's been. Uh, just eating up those innings is, is fantastic to see. He's, uh, 100%. he's 100%. actually, one final note, super quick, his career high uh, innings pitched in a season is 137 and he's he's pitched 123 uh so far this year so he's probably just what two or three starts away from exceeding that and i think i mean barring uh, hopefully i'm knocking on wood i think i had to do this a couple other shows ago um you know barring something weird this could be a 200 inning season for him so that that would be huge. I mean, who who would have predict, predicted that, you know, before the season started? Not me. 
Yeah, me. Not me. Know. I mean, I, I maybe predict the, the 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 success, but not at the at the innings rate. The innings rate's the most surprising thing for me, no question. So, um, to get into my zero, um, I went with Workman. He's allowed to have a bad outing, but here here's what's concerning for me with with the outing he had in Game Two of the series. Um, one, his continued lack of command. He had two walks in the inning and two thirds he pitched. He threw forty four pitches. Um, uh, you know the two earned runs. One of them was an inherited. Uh, I think Walden came in and walked the ba- uh, with the bases loaded and walked a guy. So. It put you know, but notwithstanding that, um, he really can't afford to be bad because he's been the one steady constant. And for him to have an outing like this in such a big series worried me uh, more than I think it would have in you know a month ago, even probably two weeks ago. Uh, but we're just counting on this guy tremendously, and for him to go out there and throw a dud concerns me greatly. Uh, you know. Um, and that's it. And then the result is that Walden has to come out and get a heart attack last out, um, which thankfully he was able to do. But it just shouldn't have been that that in that spot. Um, you know, again, we struggle to win the sales starts. He won that game, which brings him to five and nine. But for whatever reason, um, I, I focused on Workman just because it was He's been so steady, and if we lose that steadiness, then I just don't know who picks up the slack because no one else has been that consistent for, for this season. So uh, Workman's my zero, and I hope uh, they can find a spot for him to come in and be successful in this Yankee series so he can get back on the right track. How much uh, how much of that do you put on Cora, though? Because Workman looked pretty good in the eighth inning. I mean, he looked dominant in the eighth inning, and it, it felt like... I think I commented on this on Twitter. I, I felt like he threw like 7,000 pitches that game. He just looked tired. He just looked high leverage in the eighth, and then going into the ninth, it just seemed like they left him out there too long, and he just didn't have it for two innings. Uh, they've used him a lot this year. I just uh, I don't know that he's a guy that you can use for the two innings when they've used him as much as they have already. It just felt like Cora left him out there way too long, and I felt like, Going to Walden, he almost waited a little bit too long, and it, it was it was hard attack city right there watching that game. And uh, I almost put the blame for the poor performance more on Cora than Workman because he really did look really uh, solid in the in the eighth inning, but things definitely fell apart in the ninth inning. He got you know he got a couple outs, and then it just seemed like the wheels fell off. I'm just noticing right now and. His last four starts in a row where he's had to pitch more than um, more than one full inning. He's had at least two walks, and walks has been a problem with him all year long. He actually has a pretty staggering uh, 6.31 walks per nine, so... I mean, for a guy whose ERA is, uh, you know, 2.17, that's, that's, you know, pretty out of whack. So, uh, you know, we've mentioned that in the past. And if he wants to be a, you know, a regular high leverage guy, you know, for core to rely on, 
he has to he has to get control of his command. And when he came out of the game the other night, you could see him kind of cussing himself under his breath. And he continued to do so when he was sitting on the dugout bench. So he he knows he needs to step it up. And and with going more than one inning, I mean, maybe Cora just has to limit it to to just one at this point. I think he's going to do that. I mean, he seems to have an issue with not remembering that Matt Barnes sucks when he goes back-to-back nights. So maybe forgetting that Workman can't go more than an inning seems a little bit too much to ask as well. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I you know, look. I get, I get what you're saying. I also see the other side of the coin, which is he's been your most consistent reliever. It's a game you have to win, and. Maybe maybe the concern is leaving him out there for forty four pitches and not and not pulling him later if you're going to put him out there for the second inning. I don't. I just. I mean, look. If you, and and he obviously went out there because Cora went to him and said, "Can you give me another one?" And he said yes. So, I mean, he's been your best guy. You know, he wanted the ball, and unfortunately, he wasn't good in that in that uh, last inning that he threw. And they were able to overcome it with Walden, but I just I don't know if I'm ready to say that the failure by the athlete was Cora's putting him in that spot. I mean, he's got limited options, and it wasn't going to be, um, you know, Avaldi had struggled the night before, which I think we're going to talk about shortly. So I just it wasn't going to be Avaldi and and Barnes having pitched in the seventh. You know, what are your options? I mean, this has been yeah. your best guy. I mean, he has. So, you know, may, maybe it was a little bit more experimental than we would have liked with trying to get, you know, six outs. But I don't know that I blame Cora. I blame uh, Workman for not getting the outs and, and walking people and putting himself in a position where he uh, just wasn't successful. Now, if I am going to blame Cora, it's that I don't need to. I mean, to me, he was done. And he, he was left in at least one or two batters too too long. I can agree with that. And actually, there were a couple where uh, they ended up being walks, and, man, they were borderline. He got squeezed a little bit on, on the pitches too. So it wasn't like he was he was completely missing the zone by a ton. I mean, there, there were some pretty close calls that, that were borderline strikes that he just didn't get him, and sometimes that's going to happen. But to your point, you're right. Workman has been the one guy that you can really lean on this year. And, and I actually read uh, Cora had stated that even with Evaldi back, uh, a good chance that he may leave Workman in as the, the closer going forward uh, because he's done a pretty good job. So, you know, whether or not the last performance is going to change his view on that, I guess only time will tell. But it's. Uh, He's definitely been pretty solid this year and, and been able to work around some of the, the wildness and, and the walks that he's he's put out there. He's been able to get out of that. Um, I don't know, in a high-leverage playoff situation, if, if you really want that out there, I think we saw that a little bit with Keg, uh, Craig Kimbrell, where he would seemingly walk a bunch of guys and then be able to strike them out. But, man, it's it, it's it's tough to watch that, so... Hopefully he can kind of crack down on the, the walks. That's that's really the only knock on any of his performances here. He's been pretty lights out. But, again, there, there aren't a lot of options in that bullpen right now. The thing, though, with Workman is usually you know by the second batter if his command is is there. And, 
you know, and and then if it's not, I, I just I, Cora rode him all the way to the bases loaded last night, and Walden has been slipping. The other option that he could have went with instead of Walden, I don't know if that would have been a good idea. I've been critical of Cora doing this with other, uh, you know, young. Uh, pitchers this season would have been Darwin's and Hernandez, who's been phenomenal and, and albeit a short sample size as a reliever. But you know, maybe he should have been Hernandez, the the eighth inning guy, and then you know bring Workman out for the ninth. But but there there that is a pattern with Workman. If he doesn't have it, he doesn't have it, and. Uh, you know, and it hasn't ended well in certain spots this year. So, I, I wouldn't be comfortable in, in a in a permanent, you know, um, role. You know, be that the the eighth or the ninth, and and so I I don't know. We probably differ a little bit on that, but you know, we we well, got, we got here, a couple of big the scary thing. Uh, and it causes me to maybe rethink my thought as I agree with Terry. Um, maybe for a little bit of a different reason, which is he doesn't have a plus fastball. And the curveball can be a pitch that you, I don't want to liken it to a knuckleball where you have it or you don't. But it's the fastball is the easiest pitch to rely on. As far as if your velocity is there and you're, you know, you can get away with bad location. Um, because, I mean, a plus fastball is the toughest pitch to hit. As long as you can show something else, and you don't even have to show it in the strike zone. But when you're relying so heavily on a curveball, one, you're going to see what he's going through this year, or just generally has dealt with, which is command issues. And and two, when you have the bases loaded, man on third, one out, you, you're going to be a little less confident with that pitch because you don't want to bounce it whereas if you have that elite fastball you can lean on it in those moments especially if you do need a swing and miss so that's where i just don't va- i mean look i want him on the red Sox. i like this guy i think he's fearless um and i think he's a great seven inning guy or seven inning option i i don't think i need to see him in the biggest leverage situations because at the end of the day the curveball and its effectiveness can be more uh, uh, significantly more unpredictable than what most closers have, which is an elite fastball. So, um, and for those that listen to the podcast regularly, me agreeing with Terry is something I generally hate to do. So, <laughs> yeah, that happens at least once a show lately. It seems like Bad. <laughs> Terry, Terry, don't oversell it. Uh, okay, don't oversell it. <laughs> okay, but. Matt, we don't need Terry's ego to be inflated. It's going to be a one-man show by next week. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, all right. Uh, any any thoughts on Workman uh, before we get to uh, the next contestant? Go ahead, Matt. Let's, what's your zero? Who is he? Uh, yeah, I went with Nate Uvalde. Um, two, two and thirds inning pitched, five hits. Uh, three earned runs to the tune of a 40.5 ERA, two strikeouts. Some of this could be chalked up maybe to rust. Um, you know, there were some positives. Fastball seemed to have life to it. Um, he had some he had some break on, on breaking ball, but just 
couldn't seem to control and, and seemed very hittable. Um, not really what you want to see from the guy who's supposed to come out and be your uh, closing savior. And it, he just didn't have it. And it was a little bit ugly. And uh, he made a game out of what what, uh, what had been a laugher up until that point. So he's my zero uh, for this series. Ruthless pick. <laughs> well, I was... Ruthless fucking pick. I mean, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say it's not the right pick because <laughs> I won't do that to you, Matt. But geez, I do, like, nope. I, I do love the zero, zero room for error in this room, Terry. Watch what you say, bud. Don't get it wrong. I'm... I mean, the guy's first start back, I, I he did, he did, you know, in the last point's the best point, which is um, Erod. I'm sorry, was it Erod? Hold on. Yeah, it was Erod. It was Erod, right? Yeah, so Erod gives you a chance to get him in a game in a low leverage situation, and he leaves the game and passes it off into a high leverage situation. So not great. Ultimately, they win the game. Um, I don't need. I don't necessarily need Cora to leave him out there and let that happen to him to that degree. So again, you know, maybe a well, no, not maybe. Certainly, at least one or two batters too late. Um, and then, you know, he only pitched once. He'll probably pitch again either tomorrow or, you know, as we get a little, he's definitely going to pitch in this Yankee series as Terry, I'm sure is going to say he is a Yankee killer. So, um, I, I liken this one in my opinion to, uh, first time back, you know, Command wasn't as good as it usually is, and I do think he's going to be your ninth inning guy in the, after the next five outings or so, and he, he becomes available to you on a nightly basis. Well, here's the thing. He didn't walk anyone, and he attacked the zone much like he always does, and there are games where he gets hit pretty hard. He's typically, when he's a starter, only probably averages about five or six strikeouts a game, so... You know, it's just one of those situations where, you know, he got hit and, you know, you can't, like I said, blame it on command. One thing you can kind of blame it on is the fact that we're putting the weight of the world on his shoulders, you know, and that's the fault of mostly Dave Dombrowski. And so I just, I just hope it works out. And I've been a strong proponent of him ever since he went on the DL this year that he if we're gonna if he's gonna serve out this contract it has to be in the bullpen and if he's gonna give you outings like this and he's healthy and the command is there and he's gonna get tattooed you know every so often over one inning I don't want to hear anybody suggesting he should be pitching five or six innings, you know, per outing. You know, he's he's where he belongs, and hopefully, hopefully, it works out. You know, it's he's being thrown into the fire right now. The state of the team isn't great. We're not currently in a wild card uh, situation, so we're just kind of rolling with it right now, and and. If he if he can dial it in, I do. Tr- I probably will trust him more than a workman type guy, but we'll see. And and like you said, Jeremy, this is a team coming up that you know he he does seem to have his way with. So there's two types of command 
um, there's people that can throw strikes and there's can't. Uh, he's definitely a strike thrower. We've talked about it. he's an elite strike thrower. And I'm not when I say his command, I'm I'm not saying that he wasn't throwing strikes. I mean, but if you're in the strike zone, you have to be in the right spots. Right. If you're if you're middle middle, I don't care if you throw a hundred. You're in the major leagues. It's going to get turned around on you. So we got to find and that and by the way, that's the the last thing that comes to a guy who hasn't been pitching is his command within the strike zone. So he's always going to throw strikes. That's who he is. Um, I want to see him locate better because if he can locate um, in the good parts of the strike zone at ninety at ninety nine hundred miles an hour, or whatever. Um, you know, he's going to be more effective. So it's not just the act of throwing strikes. It's where are the strikes? You're, this is not, uh, you know, 95 miles an hour in high school. This is, you know, 99 in the bigs, and they can hit it. So, um, and, and by the way, I don't worry about that with him, which is why I didn't harp on it too much. I think he's going to get to the black areas of the strike zone, the, the corners of the plate, um, within an outing or two as he gets comfortable pitching in the role that he's now uh, destined for. So um, uh, still, that doesn't change my opinion. Matt, ruthless selection after one outing, after having surgery for loose outings in his el- or loose uh, objects in his elbow. Well, let, me, let me put a positive spin on it. At least he was unlike the rest of the bullpen, and he just decided to pitch like shit when he had a nine-run lead. The rest of the bullpen decides to pitch like shit when they have you know, a one-run one lead, two-run lead, and hey, they typically blow the save. So at least he picked a good time to really not have it. Uh, and I do agree with you. I think that, you know, he'll he'll get this command. I kind of worried about this a little bit. I thought they brought him back a little too soon. It was almost like they were like, hey, struck out three guys, gave up no runs, really no damage in one outing. He's back. Uh I think I would have looked into that a little bit more, maybe had him pitch a couple more games down in the the minors. But, uh, again, the bullpen is so trash this year that still, even even with a crappy outing like this, he's still one of their best options. So I do think you're right. He'll he'll turn it around. Uh, the Yankee series, uh, uh, knowing what type of competitor he is and how he typically pitches against him, might be where he dials it in. He may dial it in quicker, be amped up for it, and, and really get it all squared away. But, I, you know, I'm not too upset about this. Obviously, it didn't cost him a game. I would have been more upset if they brought him in, you know, 3-2 game and he got just blown out of the water. But this one was – it's a good time to rot and knock some rust off. It was the, uh, you know, the ideal situation. So, uh, hopefully, uh, you know – Hopefully, he reigns it in a little bit with uh, the Yankees. Um, my uh, my pick is going to be Mitch Moreland, which maybe that falls into the ruthless uh, category. 0 for 5. I think he might have been hitless in uh, his rehab, few rehab starts as well. I do not have those stats up, so if I'm wrong, forgive me, but... If it weren't for the fact that Michael Chavis is having uh, back spasms right now, I really, I'm ready to move on from Moreland. I mean, he he had some big moments in the playoffs last year, especially game four of the World Series, had a two or three run bomb uh, to get us back in that game. And, you know, great clubhouse guy. You know, you really can't complain about him, but... He's a very streaky hitter. He's had a lot of issues with health. And 
in the seven weeks that he missed, the Red Sox surged to become the number one offense in Major League Baseball. I'd rather have Chavis in at first every day. And I think that at second base, Brock Holt and Marco Hernandez is the perfect platoon. So that's really what I would like to go with. I think the new chemistry was kind of working out. Now we're we're bringing back some of the old chemistry and you know, maybe Moreland proves me wrong and goes on a tear. He's very streaky and when he's hot, he's really hot, but I just I don't see him as an impact guy and you know, so I don't I just I'm I'm not a Moreland guy at this point. So he's my zero. My my problem specifically was was game two um, in the sales start, where Holtz at second, Marlins at first, and I understand Vasquez pinch hits and hits the home run that really you know was a big factor in this game. But then what became a big factor was your your starting catcher, who's a top five catcher in the American League is at first with playing a short hop behind second base or behind first base with two outs. And you know, like we said, Walden got the out, but isn't Moreland a former gold glove winner? I mean, and that's rhetorical because he was, I know the answer. Yet Moreland's not in that spot to make that play. Vasquez is and Chavis hit for Holt and was playing second. What what the what are you doing? Why why is it reversed? I know. Why why is why is your defensive why is the defensive side of your infield in that situation a game you ultimately win by one run? Chavis, who fine, he he is, you know, a third baseman, second baseman by trade, I guess, as far as his minor league uh career. But Vasquez is your catcher. I mean, what are you doing? It just makes no sense. You want Moreland up, fine. But then Moreland has to be in defensively in the ninth, not Vasquez. Like, what the fuck are you doing, Cora, or whatever the situation is? Then I tie it directly to the fact that Marco Hernandez, who's hitting three fucking 40, is not on the team anymore. And now you got this bass awkward situation in the ninth when you're up a run, bases loaded. Walden, who has not been pitching in these leveraged spots, is in the game. And all of a sudden, there's a bounding ball behind first base, and, and, and you have your catcher fielding a short hop. It makes no sense to me. And, I, and after the game was over and I was relieved to, for the win, I was like a little bit angry and upset about why it was even, in that, why it was even there to, to be that way. Where did they have Sam Travis in that game? Did he? He didn't was play. He, out, he didn't play at all? No. And they've got him up. Well, I mean, he's by, by trade a first baseman as well, correct? So but, I I get that Vasquez is good. Why? Yeah. Fine. I, so what? So so your point is fine. Vasquez hits the big home run. He's been awesome offensively. We don't have a problem with that. Then go put Sam Travis in to play defense in the ninth, yeah, which I agree more. with. I agree with that. But I would much rather have Marco Hernandez at second and Chavis at first, who's been your starting first baseman. It makes yeah. it, dude. The whole thing makes no sense, and it also ties into the fact that Marco Hernandez needs to be on this roster. He provides too much flexibility. He's been a plus offensively. It makes no fucking sense. And and look, I if you're gonna have Moreland on the team, fine, but he's got to be playing first. 
your form, you know, former one time, however you want to characterize it, gold glove left-handed first baseman needs to be making the play that ultimately ends the game. It just, it, it's, it doesn't make sense. And I don't like, and if it's dictated by the current iteration of the roster, then why is Sam Travis here? And why isn't Marco Hernandez? So I, I mean, I that's just where I'm that. at with it. I agree that, that Hernandez should probably be up over uh, Sam Travis. And I, I kind of see Chavis as a better option at second base versus first base. I, I do like Moreland at first because of his defense, but early in the year, Moreland was carrying the team on his back when they had nobody doing anything. Nobody was hitting for power. I mean, he, he was a force before he got hurt, and then he kind of, I mean, he's always kind of streaky. Uh, he had a pretty good first half a couple of years ago when he made the all-star team, or maybe it was last year. And then he just kind of fell off in the second half. But his defense is great. I mean, we put Jackie Bradley Jr. out there who goes over whatever he goes up against um, almost every series. He may have one series where he has a couple home runs and then all the rest of his uh, at-bats, he's, he's completely doing nothing. But he, uh, if we're willing to, to sacrifice defense or uh, offense for his defense, why, why aren't we willing to put a guy in there who's better offensively, but still, to your point, a gold-glove caliber first baseman. I don't know. I, I like Moreland there at first. I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, I am a, a bigger fan of Chavis maybe playing second base if he's healthy, uh, and then Brock Holt kind of doing the, the super utility and giving guys a breather across the, across the board. Uh, but Holt's bat has been so hot lately, it's tough to take him out of the lineup. Look, Holtz, Holtz, you're starting second baseman. I don't have a problem with that. But Chavis is not some defensive improvement. No, that no, that's not at all. and then if you're going to pinch it, Chavis against a lefty, fine. Same situation as the Moreland Vasquez dichotomy, which is I don't have a problem with Chavis hitting, but then he's out of the game and Marco Hernandez is at second which is a, an improvement defensively over both Holt and Chavis and probably your best second baseman right now defensively in the system with uh, Zhu Weilin, um I still think is not healthy. Terry's going to correct me if I'm wrong because he loves doing I that. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. I thought of that right, earlier, there you go. Stumped. Stumped. <laughs> now I get to say whatever the fuck I want. You can't correct me. Um, but, but, I mean, look, it's just not – the roster management continues to be a problem in my opinion. You know, and by the way, and Terry knows I'm going where, where, where I'm going, whether he wants to admit it or not. Leon's 0 for 4, <laughs> you know, in the game, and he's he drops his average to a smooth Mendoza line at 200 even, and Vasquez is playing first base, hitting the, the game-winning home run, pitch hitting for your supposed defensive first baseman. The whole thing is, I'm sorry, it the roster management is weird. It Cora Cora just tries to outsmart himself, you know. I mean, that's what it is, and sometimes I just it goes back to last year where everything he did was right, and he just assumes the magic has to come back and thinks he can continually defy conventional wisdom, and he got away with it last night. We, you know, Walden didn't cough it up, but. If if Vasquez botches that play last night, 
What do you think? What do you think's going? The big topic of conversation all morning long on EI this morning in the, in the sports hub. It would have been like you know what was Cora doing with that defensive alignment, and he he got away with it. Like I said, so yeah. But we got to settle one. And thing. no, and no one's talking about it because Vasquez hit the home run that made the difference. Uh, true. So well, I mean, but 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 you're dead right. Switch the last play of the game to that ball hits him in the chest, and he's a little late flipping it to Walden, who I believe was pitching at the time. I mean, and you lose the series. I mean, he's getting ethered. Yeah. So Vasquez makes the play. And by the way, Vasquez has played second. He's played first. He's he's pinch hit. He's he's a top five catcher. I mean, he has been awesome. Um, you know, uh, I, I think he's one of your, you know, he's probably, you know, one of your top players, all around players at this point. And, you know, you put him in a position to fail. And, of course, he doesn't because he's a gamer. But it just... And everyone was focused on the pinch hit and the home run, and as they should be, but no one talked after the game about how the whole situation with the right side of the infield, you know, I mean, it, it was a disaster in waiting that they were fortunate enough to avoid. All right, Matt, we got to get something out of the way right now. We need your official stance on the catching situation. Does Leon have to catch Chris Sale and Porcello? You know, because the the stats, you know, kind of point to the fact that he should, or should it be Vasquez at least four games out of five, if not five out of five? You know, because he's one of the best catchers in the league. Like, where do you stand on that? And I'll tell you, Jeremy and I are on opposite sides of this, so you're you're going to be yeah, siding Matt, with one yeah, of us. Yeah. You may be thinking there's no wrong answer here. You'd be wrong. There's a wrong answer. Good luck. Uh, here's, here's my stance on it. Chris Sale, I think he should be catching for. Obviously, the results are there. Um, we, you know, If it makes him feel more comfortable, I don't care. You just paid a shit ton of money to a guy. Uh, if he's as dominant as, as he has been in the past, and he's looked pretty good the last couple games, and he's shown some, some dominance this year, uh, with with Leon behind the plate, then you got to go with it. Rick Porcello, I, I don't care who you throw out there to catch for him. He, he's been pitching like dog shit. Um, the guy has just been absolute trash. So I don't really care who he wants catching. Uh, you know, he he can have he can have Vasquez out there. You need the offense. I mean, uh, God, they give they give Porcello the last two games. They've given him. Uh, they've spotted him five runs and he's coughed it up both times. I mean, he's been absolute trash out there. So he should want Vasquez out there just to give him more offense so that when he coughs up eight or nine runs, he's still in the game. So that's my take, you know, go Vasquez with Porcello, but keep Leon just for, uh, just for Sal. And, and let's be honest, as good as Vasquez has been, and he's been fantastic. Um, he's got to have a rest sometime. I mean, that catcher position you, you can't catch every single game. It'll just beat the hell out of your body. So His I, I think that's suffer. the the most plausible thing. Sandy Leone brings absolutely no offensive value whatsoever to the team. Um, so I guess if, uh, if you're going to do that, just make sure that you take Jackie Bradley Jr. out of the lineup that day so you don't have an absolute black hole at the bottom of the lineup because it seems like they always have all these guys who are – 
specialty guys in at the same time and the last three batters are basically three automatic outs and it's just it's brutal as good as the offense has been i feel like that was a lot of the struggles in the beginning of the season is the seven eight nine hitters just were could not hit anything whatsoever and it just made it easier to mow down that lineup they could kind of pitch around those guys and uh the the main guys and get to the the back end of that order and it, it was rough so uh, to answer that, uh, yeah, Leon with Sal and Vasquez with Porcello. I think he's a little more Team Terry. Like the the Sale matchup sounded pretty unequivocal there. Well, it sounded like he tried to split the baby a little bit, you know, and find some middle ground. I have no respect for that. There's only one correct answer. <laughs> Definitely Team Terry now, because you know, yeah. Anyway, before we get into this Yankee series. What's going on with David Ortiz? Nobody's talking about it. Uh, things are quiet. I mean, Pedroia isn't in the hospital with him taking selfies. Like, is he really in the hospital? Or is he in the hospital and maybe he's in a coma? Like, what's going on? So there was a – I actually saw a report, and it was Dan Shaughnessy that had it. Uh, and, and he said that uh, no one in Cooperstown uh, – well, he was at the Hall of Fame inductions. No one he encountered in Cooperstown believed the mistaken identity theory with Ortiz. Uh, and that included Pedro Martinez. Uh, Pedro basically said, you know, well, he didn't buy it. And this would be the first baseball player that's that's ever been targeted for assassination over there. And he didn't want to speak in depth on it. Um but he basically said that it was it was for da- the situation was for Ortiz and his family to speak on when they were ready to talk about it. So he, he was a little bit candid about you know what he really felt. But he basically said, "Yeah, nobody's buying the the mistaken identity thing." Well, there's been a lot of reports out there, and then it just kind of fell silent. I feel like they almost wanted it to die off over there. Yeah, it's real weird. There's a lot of things that aren't connecting uh, as far as the reports coming out. I mean, you had, they talked about him paying or buying a, a luxury car for the drug kingpin's wife like the day before. It was like an $85,000 car. And then after he was shot, there was some sort of altercation in the hospital where this woman showed up. And some of Ortiz's entourage kicked her out, and it was it was an altercation from there. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't add up. The Dominican Republic is, is notorious for having one of the most corrupt police forces uh, in in the entire world. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm a big Ortiz guy. I love Ortiz, uh, but there's just there's a lot of shit that just does not add up. It's just weird how he's not quite been visible, you know, he's not accessible to the media, and I just, I don't know, I mean, I just, I'm just kind of curious as to what's going on, I, reportedly he had another surgery a week and a half, two weeks ago, this is what concerns me, I'm going to read, this is a quote from a um, Sports Illustrated article that was only published yesterday, uh, the writer's name is Dan something, I uh, no one I'm familiar with, but he spent a couple of weeks over there talking to anybody who would talk to him about, you know, and this includes like low-level drug dealers, you know, he, he spoke with everyone, but here's, uh, here's 
a piece of his article right here, and this concerns me deeply. He writes, multiple high-level Dominican officials have been accused of ties to drug trafficking, including a former president who was alleged by a well-known narco-trafficker of refusing to pay him back a $4.5 million loan. A director of the anti-narcotics police was sentenced in 2016 to 20 years in prison for stealing nearly 1,000 kilos of cocaine. And a high-level prosecutor told the newspaper El Diario in March 2015 that police and military are involved in 90% of organized crime cases. Last year, the Dominican ranked 129th worst of 180 countries in Transparency uh, International's annual Corruption Perceptions Index. So they rank pretty badly amongst, you know, other corrupt governments. So we'll probably never know, you know, the who and the why necessarily. I'm wondering, maybe Big Poppy might know exactly why. You know, who knows? I mean, we can only speculate, but it's just it's just odd to me that there hasn't been much interaction between him and the team. If he's in Boston, theoretically in a, in a in a safe situation, so it's just the the quietness of uh, you know of the situation is uh, kind of eerie to me. And they say a couple of the people that were arrested too were, were former or current police officers over there or something like that. There was actually, there's been just so much reporting and, and so many, uh, so many things that have came out that have been refuted and it's, it's tough to decipher where it's coming from. And, and really, unless there's, if Ortiz wanted a lot of this stuff to come out, I think he could make this investigation, you know, somebody dig in. I think he's got the resources to have somebody dig in, but it sounds like there's some personal stuff there that, you know, potentially uh, or allegedly that may, may keep him from really wanting to dig deeper into this or have somebody else dig deeper into this and, you know, whatever. I, I don't know the dynamic behind it. It's, it's, little weird that even Pedro, who seems like, you know, they're, they're pretty close, uh, doesn't buy into it. And actually, if you see a picture of the two, uh, the, the guy that they said that he was mistaken for, uh, I know the, the official report was that they, it was mistaken identity. There was some guy that had blown in this kingpin who was related to him to law enforcement and he wanted retribution. And, but if you look at these, Guys, one guy's a short guy that looks nothing like Ortiz, and Ortiz is just one of the most iconic guys over there. It's think about the only thing that had a picture of him right before the shooting. About the only thing that was similar is they both wore white pants. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. These guys look nothing alike. So it, it is an odd situation, and I, I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm torn. I, I hate even talking on it because of you know part of me does because I I hold. Ortiz in, a, in high regard and you know it seems like he's done a lot for the Dominican Republic he does a lot for the community he's a larger than life personality but 
at the same time, there's a lot of things that don't add up when you try to connect the dots. I just hope he's safe. I mean, I, I don't know what the the you know the level of power of those people are, and uh, you know, I don't know. With all this said, you know, with these you know five minutes we've talked about this, he'll probably throw out the first pitch on Saturday or something, and you know, who knows? But but you just yeah, it just concerns me that the team isn't in there, you know, interacting with them and and stuff. I just. I don't know. Once he got to Although America, we, you know, via that medevac flight or whatever, I just, you know, I, I thought he was. I, he had some, he, he made some comment. He supported, uh, was it, uh, there was somebody that he felt was going to turn it around. I can't remember who it was. He had tweeted something from the hospital bed that, that he felt, maybe it was just the team. He felt the team was still adequate enough to turn it around or something like that. So he had tweeted something out or, or made some comment to media. This was last week that I saw it, and I'll have to see if I can dig it up. But that's about the only thing I've heard from or about him other than the multiple surgeries. It's been pretty quiet, It's which is kind of odd because he's, he's normally a guy who is very – out in public and it could be a safety thing i mean it very well could be the case i mean obviously if you're just sitting there and you think you're untouchable in your your hometown and you get shot in the back it's probably a little bit nerve-wracking to say the least his twitter hasn't been touched since uh, uh may 15th actually let me look at his likes um yeah, May thirteenth. So yeah, he hasn't he hasn't really done anything on Twitter, and we are approaching two months. And even I mean, yeah, I'm, I guess I won't go into that. I'm not a doctor, but uh, any thoughts, Jeremy, or do you want us to move on to the Yankees series? Um, I really, you know, I haven't been following the story. I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't care too much about it, other than that he's safe, happy, and you know, going to hopefully choose to live in a place that he doesn't have to worry about something like this. I'll just tell you two things that I know have happened. He slipped it to that chick, and he was the intended target. That's all I know. I mean, <laughs> there's no interpretation necessary as far as those two things. Now, the rest of it, I really don't care. I mentioned that I'm I'm a stay out of the personal lives type of guy. Uh, win games, hit home runs, throw strikes, get wins. Um, I, I don't need to know that uh, Andrew Kashner has a farm in Illinois or Erod is has a side check. I, I don't care. Like <laughs> just get people out. That's I, I I don't I worry about my personal life, my friends' personal life, the people around me, the celebrities. I I just don't give a fuck and i can't express that with enough sincerity so but i'll tell you that in my expert opinion he's definitely given it to that chick at one point and uh he was the intended target so other than that i don't care okay and that's that's fair and i uh you know i i think we've seen as red sox fans if we look even back in the 80s i was discussing this with my dad today we were talking about the wade boggs thing and back in the 80s when they he had that up Fair that was so public with the Margo thing and people used to chant that and kind of leads into another thing I was going to ask you guys about if you saw that uh, Boggs kind of eviscerated uh, David Price over the Eckersley feud and, and basically called him out and said hey Eckersley was a great, a great teammate we were honored to have him as a teammate and 
if you think you've had it bad in Boston or, you know, the media was rough on you, you wouldn't have survived in the 80s and, and really tore into to Price. And I'm assuming he's alluding a little bit to that because, I mean, he got it. He, he was brutalized by the media uh, over that affair and or alleged affair. I can't even remember what it was. I was young. Um, and, and just I remember the fans chanting it whenever Boggs wasn't doing well. And it, it was brutal. I mean, Price would have probably broke down and cried, maybe beat his pants on the mound and walked off knowing him. But it, it's, you know, that kind of ties these coming full circle with these two things. Uh, I don't I don't really care about what they're doing in their personal lives. I mean, that's that's their business, not mine. So it's just an unfortunate situation. Wade Boggs was totally correct. And could you imagine being called a douchebag by Wade Boggs? That <laughs> is, whoa, that's tough. <laughs> oh, man, give me anybody else, please. Get, I mean, really. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm not saying it's not, but I mean, he's he was a douchebag. Yeah. Um. He was, uh, like you said, a womanizer, which is again, I don't care, but. Uh, another guy with substance abuse issues, um, and notoriously not treating people well. And he, and, <laughs> you know, hall of famer, great baseball player, no question about it. But you know, you, if that guy calls you a bad guy, that's tough. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, I think every player over the age of 50 is going to side with Eckersley anyway. And I, I'm far from that. And I, I side with him, but yeah. Maybe 20 years from now, David Price will take crap from, you know, Griffin Holt when he's batting leadoff for the Kansas City Royals or whatever. I, I don't know. But, you know, may, maybe he'll get a dose of his own medicine and, you know, have to deal with a young player that's that's running his mouth. And, and then maybe only then will he get a sense of what Eckersley felt on that charter plane. So... Well, let's get into this Yankee series, gentlemen. Um, so I have this as loss, loss, win, loss. Game one is uh, Masahiro Tanaka, who's got a four ERA against Rick Porcello, who sucks. Um, that's a that's a tough matchup. That is tomorrow, seven ten. Uh, the whole series uh, is in Boston, obviously. Uh, Paxton. Um, Five and five of the four point two versus Andrew Kashner, uh, who has been absolutely fucking garbage in a Red Sox uniform. And then Saturday, a four o'clock start, CC Sabathia uh, against Eduardo Rodriguez. We've already talked about Erod; he's been awesome. I I have this as a as a win. Uh, Sabathia um, gets his AARP card next week. He's a hundred years old and not good anymore. And then Sunday uh, on ESPN, game of the week, 7.05 first pitch, Domingo Herman versus Chris Sale. Uh, that's the game I'm most intrigued about because I also think it'll determine the series. So I have this again as Tanaka beats Porcello, who sucks again. Paxton beats Kashner, who sucks again. Erod's our only good pitcher. And then I, I, fi- I feel like in prime time, the better team's going to win. And d- despite the pitching matchup probably favoring the Red Sox, the Yankees are clearly the better team and win this series uh, three games to one. 
Uh, Tanaka's been kind of roughed up in three out of his last four starts, giving up uh, six runs, four runs. He had a two-run start against Toronto two starts ago and then got tagged for five runs in his most recent start against the Colorado Rockies. So maybe we are catching him at a decent time. I think we did. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, the six-run game. Yeah, oh, that was in London, so that don't even count. That was that. That was a fucked-up series. Um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll toss out that six run start Porcello, ironically. Yeah. So this is a rematch from London actually. Um, so I mean, uh, I, I, if you have it, if you have a ticket in the green monster seats, (laughs) bring a glove for each fucking hand. You'll get a souvenir. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'm going to agree with Jeremy and and I'm not protesting that, um, Porcello just has been garbage and, it's been very disappointing because he is in a walk year. So he has all the ex- incentive to, you know, pitch very well and seems to be really lost. And we, we've had the catcher debate in recent weeks. And Sandy Leone doesn't seem like he's uh, saving him. He's just so completely lost. And I, uh, I definitely expect the Yankees to, to take game one. What do you think? Va- Vas- Vasquez better start this game, too. I-, I am going to blow my mind if Vasquez is not in the lineup and you have someone else in the lineup that's going to give you a chance to get a base hit. He'll I'm probably... sorry. The Leon the thing, please, with Rick Porcello, just stop. He'll probably be the second baseman. <laughs> Cora will come up yeah, with I mean, some... why, why don't we throw J.D. Martinez as at second base and he can blow out <laughs> Exactly. Go ahead, Court. Do it. Let's go. Just ruin my fucking summer, please. <laughs> Matt, what are your thoughts on that matchup? Uh, I'm uh, I'm a little more optimistic. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I I feel like at some point Porcello is just gonna something may click with him, and he he's got to pitch better. I mean, he's not this shitty. I mean, we've seen and and obviously he's an every other year guy, so maybe he's not gonna find it this year, which is. That's the case. That sucks for him because it is contract year. But I, I don't know. I, I just feel like usually when I think the game's going to be like a 24-23 game, uh, it'll probably be 2-0. Um, somehow, uh, I don't know. I feel like Boston just – they may actually find something this series against the Yankees. They haven't had it all year. Uh, I feel like maybe Porcello – this is – this is time, the time he turns it around. Tanaka, Tanaka was hit real hard against the Red Sox, too. I mean, granted, to your point, it was in London, and uh, I think the two of them combined lasted, I don't even know if they lasted a full inning uh, combined. But uh, I think it'll be a little bit different this time. I, I feel like Corsella will give him six innings, uh, give up two runs, and, and keep him in the game. Um, I'm a little optimistic. I, I feel like he's going to find something. <laughs> Extreme. Matt, Matt, He's got it. He's got to at some Matt, point. Matt, Matt. It's not going to happen. Matt. <laughs> what? All right, Matt. Hold on. Okay. Let me re- let me phrase this apparently because I don't need you getting off the podcast and be like, this guy's a douchebag. I quit. So I'm going to – let me phrase this how I want to. Give me a second. Uh, and he's three and one in his last five starts with a ten point five seven ERA. Um, what trend 
Well, what, he's got what three wins. Factual basis do you have for your optimism, bud? I don't I mean I, I work we're all Red Sox fans, right? There's no bigger Red Sox fans than the three of us on this podcast. Uh I've been a lifelong Red Sox fan. I did write my high school thesis paper on the curse of the Bambino. Um, so like I've been through it. I've been in the, the good and the bad and everything else. And usually when I see a, like, for example, with sale, you see a start where maybe he doesn't get deep in the game, but his stuff's good. And he has a high number of strikeouts and you're like, he's on the verge of being who we think he can be. There's no, dude, in my opinion, there's no indication that Porcello is ready to break through. Well, here's, here's the, so he's the last, there's a little bit of a trend here. So hear me out. You went six really shitty starts and then basically gave up no no runs and struck out eight against the Twins. And then he's had six shitty starts since then. So I figure maybe he's in every seventh game type guy. So that's, that's where I'm at with it. I, you know, I you, he's gonna go, you sold now me. That I, now that I think about it, he's going to go eight innings, no runs given up. This is just – you might as well take it to Vegas right now. It's uh, it's got to be because it's every seventh game. I mean, I I'll just crack the code. I'll, I'll bet the game if you feel that strongly about it. But I'm <laughs> I'm gonna hit you with PayPal with the <laughs> Well, I didn't say you know I'm not a betting guy. I'm just saying if I was, I if I was betting with somebody else, money. Yeah, All right, I don't know. Uh, so, okay, so we've we've all right. Well, I look. Too bad you're not a betting guy because I'd, I'd bet you on this start. I'd got yeah. the Yankees all day long on Thursday night. Friday, Paxton versus Kashner. I've weighed in here. I think Kashner gives up a touchdown. Hopefully they miss the extra point, keeps it to six against Paxton, who's probably going to throw a quality start. What do you guys think? I have this, the Yankees winning this game uh, probably like eight to two. Well, I mean, it's... Pax, uh, not Paxton, uh, Kashner's obviously our number five. I think he pitched all right. I mean, he did what a number five starter should do. And, you know, he went six innings, gave up four runs, struck out seven. I'll take that every time from a, from a number five starter, especially if it's saving the bullpen from having to do a spot start. That being said, um, he has had some decent outings against the Yankees. He, he had two starts in a row in mid-May, six innings pitched, and each of them gave up three earned runs and two earned runs, respectively. He did get shelled in the opening day start that, you know, they played each other, um, you know, opening day, and, and Kashner was the starter for the Orioles, and he did get tagged for six runs, but... You know, that that was the very first start. Um, I don't like the matchup, though. Paxton is a semi-top-of-the-rotation pitcher. I mean, he'd be a number two on most elite staffs, you know, but if we're talking small markets, he could be a number one. He was the number one uh, out in Seattle. Um, you know, and he gave up seven runs, only four earned against uh, Colorado in his last start. And rattled off a few quality starts in a row. And I just, it's not a good matchup. And I, I don't know. And he has had one start against the Red Sox. That was uh, all the way back in April. A dominant one, though. Eight innings pitched. Only gave up two hits. Zero earned runs. So, 
I mean, at face value, the Yankees are favored, you know, anyway. They are the better team, and I think, you know, I don't know that Kashner is going to get shelled, but I think Paxton's going to be better, and, and I think the Yankees have the better bullpen, so, you know, they're going to be a lot more stable in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings, so I have the Red Sox losing the first two games anyway. I uh, I don't disagree. I think Kasher gets beat up on, um, and uh, I think they may look at a different fifth starter. Uh, but there's been some rumors of Boston still looking at fifth starters, assuming they still feel like they're they're buyers and not sellers. Uh, maybe they look at a fifth starter because he's he hasn't been the answer. Um, I, I just don't I don't know that he really fits. Uh, I wasn't really sold. I thought it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors. Again, they got him for nothing, so you can't really complain too much. But I think the only hope is Paxton's been inconsistent, and when he's off, he's real off, and and he's gotten hammered. So maybe he just has an off night. That's about the only thing that we can hope for on that one. But I I think if you're just going looking at it, um, you know, I I think that the Yankees probably win that one. Yeah, my my – my um, advice to Red Sox Nation on Friday at 7-10 is to do almost anything but watch this game. Uh, Saturday, uh, CC Sabathia, um, who's been 4.5, which is technically a quality start ERA, versus Erod, who's been absolutely awesome. Um, I think this is the sort of game where you're going to win. You're, you're probably going to lose the first two. There'll also be a sense of desperation. Uh, as the season potentially slips away. Um, and for that reason, and the coupled with the fact that our ace is on the mound, uh, I like our chances strongly in this game. And I think you win a 5-1, 5-2, you know, something like that type of game, assuming the bullpen doesn't fucking blow it. That's a big assumption. Fair. <laughs> but um, if he keeps pitching seven innings, you only got to get two innings, and you can throw, you, you know, assuming... The Yankee uh, killer of all the... Yeah, throw a, throw, go go Workman, who I still think is your second best, you know, probably one of your best options, and then work in Evaldi and see if you can't get through this game and get a win with those guys. I I, I like their chances. I and maybe CC's good, but he's not going to be good for more than five innings, even if he is. Uh, you know, so I I just I, I I like our chances here, and like I said, I with the first two games being losses in my mind, there's going to be a sense of desperation in that game. He's coming. It seems like the whole Yankee staff is coming off a pretty bad start. Uh, he got tagged for uh, six earned runs in Minnesota. And like I said when I was saying, you know, Erod was my hero in the opening segment. I mean, that's always the game I feel the best about. And only gave up two runs in his uh, previous outing against them. He did only go five and one third, though. So. Hopefully you get at least uh, an extra inning uh, on top of that out of him this time. And maybe you save Evaldi for, for this start. I mean, if we're, if the first two games get, get away from us, I'd hang on to Evaldi until you need him because this is one lineup that he tends to, to pitch pretty well against. So, um I, you know, this is definitely the most winnable game. Another thing that none of us have mentioned so far into this preview yet, 
we absolutely get destroyed at Fenway. If we went by our road numbers alone, we're a playoff team. I don't know what happens when we come home, but... Uh, you know, that alone makes me a little bit more nervous about this game. And we've only won one game against them all season long. And ironically, I think it was a David Price start. So, uh, and, and he's not pitching in this series. And, and maybe that's a good thing, you know, based on his recent trends. But, um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go with a win here, but I, I don't, I don't feel great about it. Matt, what I mean? Yeah, uh, no, I, I definitely think that I, I think this is a good one. I, I think that Erod definitely has the advantage. CC has not been pitching well. I think he's got um, something like an eight ERA over the last uh, few weeks, and and close to a six ERA over the last month. So he started out pretty strong, but he's he's really kind of fallen off the last month or so. And Erod uh, is conversely gotten a lot better so i definitely think that the scales are, are tipped in in the red sox favor on this one um you know i i, I think that they uh they should be able to save Avaldi for for pitching in this one especially since porcello's going complete game shutout versus tanaka <laughs> um so I, yeah i mean it's uh Hopefully, hopefully they can pick that one up at the very least. I like the the last two. I feel a lot stronger about than the first two games. Um, you know, at least on paper. So, yeah, I guess I guess we'll see on that one. But I, I that will be the game that I'll uh, probably mark is is the best chance to win. So, with the season on uh, the brink after losing the first two and surviving the erod start we go into espn on sunday night with uh, domingo herman who's 12 and 2 with a 4 era um versus christopher sale uh who's you know is what he is um i have this as a three to two loss just because the yankees are the better team and um you know, basically putting the AL East, you know, not that it's not already to bed, but certainly, I mean, the, the, you know, it's dead. At that point, what are your guys' thoughts on Sunday night's primetime matchup on ESPN? Well, I think it it has the potential to be a relatively high-scoring game, actually. Um, they did get to Chris Sale. I don't have his numbers up in front of me, actually, but... They knocked him around for at least four or five runs in the late um, May start. And that, I think I said in the, the most recent podcast, or maybe it was privately, I, I don't remember. But that was uh, only a couple of starts after that 17 strikeout performance against the Rockies. So Sale was catching New York at, at a good time for him and he didn't end up pitching that well. And you look at the last two starts, you know, against Toronto, he was lights out, six innings, I think two hits, 12 strikeouts. And I was kind of curious to see if he could carry it into Tampa and only gave up two runs, but he was up to 80 or so pitches by the end of the fourth inning. And um, Alex Cora left him in there for 116 pitches. So 
what kind of concerns me here is a, the turning point for him uh, was after that Kansas City start when he pitched a very unnecessary complete game. They were up seven or eight to nothing. Cora left him in, you know, and so much for load management, you know, like like he talked about coming into the season. So I'm I'm a little concerned that he might be a little fatigued coming into this start having pitched a season high 116 innings and New York they're a scrappy team that's how they got him you know in in late June uh, late May excuse me you know they they were just able to kind of slap the ball go the opposite way they weren't hitting him hard but they were they were keeping the ball in play and it's a very crafty lineup even with Gary Sanchez on the DL I mean, DJ LeMahieu has been a, a spark plug for them. And, you know, Gardner always gives us hell. Aaron Judge is back. I just feel like, I feel like this is going to be, you know, uh, an 8-6 to six win for either team. Domingo Herman isn't a great starter either. So that leads me to believe the Red Sox will probably at least be able to score on him at least until the bullpen comes in but um i expect maybe maybe not like a 14 to 12 game like they had with with minnesota last night but i expect some runs to get uh you know put up and i i don't know you know what i'm gonna go sail on this one i, I don't feel great about it either but I don't like Herman. Herman's coming off of a three and two third inning performance, uh, and this was actually last night. Gave up eight earned runs, and definitely, you know, their number five starter. So, I guess I'll have the Sox eking it out with a with a split in the series. But the last game is July twenty eighth, so. We'll have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen by the 31st by the time this series ends. Yeah, I mean, if they get swept, which I think is a possibility, uh, it's going to be hard, I think, to add. I think they either sell or stay where they are. I, you know, so and and maybe we'll have and I'm going to pose this question. This was a tweet from Jordan Leandri, uh, and I might have just mispronounced his last name, but with the lack of depth and I just put a pin in this until um, Sunday night if if you are a buyer and let's say you go sweep the Yankees or go three and four and cut you know because if you sweep you cut this thing down to what five games I mean and that's crazy to think that you could be in that position after the series and it's not going to happen but let's say it does a topic for Sunday night could be with the lack of prospects would you consider trading a guy like Andrew Benintendi if it meant a starter, a reliever, or two, and a prospect. So, something to think about, but I don't think we'll have to get there because I don't think the series is going to go that way. He's absolutely untouchable to me. I mean, if we're getting Cindergaard and we're putting, you know, um, Chatham or, or maybe a Dahlbeck guy in there, then, you know, okay. You know, it, that, that would be tough. I, I don't know if I can pull the plug on Ben Benintendi. <laughs> Well, I think he'd be selling low, too, because he's had such a down season. I mean, he's starting to come around. He changed his swing here in the last week. But 
I think he'd be selling low. I don't think the Sox would do it. And and he's controllable. He's he's young. He's got a pretty good team friendly contract that that they don't have to extend for a little while. So I think they'd be crazy to do it. I if I had to choose between him and Betts right now, uh, just given the amount of financial capital you have to throw to Betts, I I think I'm leaning a little bit more towards Benintendi, even though he's having the the down year. You're you're out of your mind, respectfully. I, I mean, that's. Well, I'm not saying he's a better player. No, 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 and no, I no, of course not. But that's came out again this week. Terry's going to uh, hammer me if I get this wrong, so I'm going to be kind of careful here. If Actually, I, can. I. But he basically said, "Go ahead." No, I I have some thoughts on this, but yeah, go ahead. Well, and and look, the to me, this is I think. A, we're just going to tease Sunday night because I don't think we should get too deep into this right now because this series is going to be a significant predicate to what they do moving forward. But um, he basically came out and said something to the effect of, uh, I, 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 I want to be here just because I'm going to free agency doesn't mean I don't want to be here. Uh, Mookie, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, They've offered you three hundred million. The, the 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 Dombrowski called a unilateral press conference, to, and he said, "Open quote: I'm calling this press conference so that I can tell everyone that we've offered Mookie Betts a ten-year, three hundred million dollar deal." And Mookie didn't counter it. He just said, "No thanks. Go fuck yourself." Like Mookie, by saying you're going to free agency, you don't want to be here. That's what that is. He's not going to be here. And Benintendi, whether he even has an opinion on it or not, doesn't matter because he still has, I think, his full four years of arbitration eligibility in front of him. So, I mean, look, to me, if, if you could get starter, bullpen, two or three prospects for Mookie Betts, I mean, I'll, I'll drive him to the Logan. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I I'll, you know, here's a hot take. I think we can trade Mookie Betts and possibly still make the playoffs. It's gonna, it's gonna hinge on pitching anyway. But and that scenario is not gonna happen. I mean, that he's only getting traded if, it, you know, if we're not really gonna go for a playoff push. But here's, here's some quotes. And Jeremy, you were basically on the money. I'm gonna, I'll just give the exact quote though. And there's one more after. Um, He's kind of clearing up, you know, his feelings towards Boston. Uh, He goes, uh, I've loved it here. I love the front office, which is a lie, by the way. Uh, My teammates, my coaches, everybody. It's been nothing but amazing here. Just because you go to free agency doesn't mean you don't want to be somewhere. He kind of reiterates that again. And this is from a New York uh, Post article that I'm pulling this off of. Uh, he says further, I, I've always loved it here. It's been amazing to me, my family. It's like a home to me. It's all I know. And just because you exercise something in this business, uh, that doesn't mean I don't like it. Now, all of this context that he's giving you, all this sudden profound love that he didn't that he didn't give at all on on the Rob Bradford podcast that he was on three or four weeks ago when when all he said about Boston was it, it, it was tough to adjust 
to to moving up here, and, and it was tough. And that was it. And he was all business for the rest of that podcast. I haven't. He was on CC Sabathia's podcast recently with David Price. I don't think he gave Boston a ringing endorsement. So he's he's done a one eighty here. Loves Boston, and the only reason he said that was because. Minutes or hours earlier in the same day, Alex Cora said, this is a critical week. And yes, it's possible that trades will get made if if, if this week doesn't go well. Then Mookie starts singing. So Mookie Betts is a fucking fraud. He's not going to sign here. The Red Sox probably aren't going to pay him 400 plus million. I think that's why they pivoted to Bogarts because they tried to. Bogarts was one of three players they were willing to trade at the winter meetings to get to free up money for a reliever. So signing him to a sizable deal tells me that was a pivot and I think Mookie kind of sees the writing on the wall now and maybe he's maybe Mookie might have a little bit of of remorse for for not at least talking to the Red Sox but but I think he's gone I hope he's gone everybody knows how I feel about massive contracts they're you know they they're just roadblocks to championships they never work and you know I'm not buying Mookie's bullshit, and that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, my my thought is if you can do it for ten and thirty, uh, three hundred. I'm sorry, three hundred million for ten years. I would do it. A dollar beyond that, I'd say go fuck yourself, Mookie. <laughs> and he's already turned it down. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, so now you know where I am, which is buy and how much can we get for you. So, anyways, um, any parting thoughts on tonight's podcast, Matt? Welcome to the show. Thank you. And, uh, you know, any parting thoughts? Uh, just uh, just to touch on that, that Betts thing, uh, it's almost like he, if you're translating it, what he was saying is, hey, just because I'm going to free agency doesn't mean I won't stay with the Red Sox. If they give me the largest contract, uh, that's all it felt like there. Yeah, you know, I'll 100%. stay with you guys. You just got to pay me more than. But I kind of wonder if he's not a little bit worried too, because if you look around at the big market teams, a lot of these guys threw down a lot of money to big, big contracts the last couple of years. The Yankees aren't going to be in on it. I mean, they they got a loaded outfield that they've spent a ton of money on already. If the Red Sox are out, uh, you know, who who's left? I mean, Philly put a, a ton of money into Harper. Could they could they possibly get into it? They, yeah, they I guess. will because they wanted Trout. Like, that was kind of – they were hinting that that was the plan. So that could be a spot for Mookie. I think it's going to be a well, national Well, some of that league. was Trout's a hometown boy, too, to Philly. So well, that was, I think that was the big appeal there. There, there might have been some sentimental factors in that. You, you're absolutely right. But I, I still can't rule them out. You know, they said they were going to spend stupid money this year. And, you know, so uh, that's kind of – they're still on my radar. Atlanta, possible landing spot. The Dodgers, uh, maybe. You can't count the Giants out, um, but no one seems to want to go there ever anyway. They offered John Lester the most money, and he still picked the Cubs, so... Um, but yeah, so I don't know, but we'll, we'll get into that, you know, in the coming weeks and, and maybe the entire off season as well. But, um, 
Uh, good show, guys, and uh, we are back. It'll be the three of us again on Sunday. Uh, Matt, this uh, this could be a rough one for you because uh, ESPN game, you know, sometimes we don't start till 11 or midnight. Who knows? There's not many of them, but, but uh, this Sunday could uh, definitely be one of them. But I'm sure it could be the hottest show topics-wise anyway. Um, you know, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, I guess, but, uh, good show guys. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be in touch throughout the series. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Bye. I still do not know what episode, uh, this is. I think it's 154, but I lost all confidence in, uh, and guessing at, at what it was. I'm trying to pull up my uh, podcast account. That's one way to look is to just go on the Twitter account. But uh, huge series, huge implications. I didn't really get into it uh, for much of the show, but I'm not a believer. I, I did pick the Red Sox to split the series, but um, but... I'd rather sell, and if we if we can sell Mookie and get a decent haul, uh, that would be great. And uh, you know, maybe JD, who knows? Uh, definite no on Benny. I will not trade him under any circumstances. Too many years of control left, and I'm still a believer uh, in him long term. So. Anyway, enjoy the last couple of days of your work week. Hopefully the weekend weather is nice and we will be back probably for a late show on Sunday to have it up by your um, have it up by your AM commute on Monday. So everyone take care. We'll see you then. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Playing it a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch, he did, he got it. Here we go, time to party, right here, 3-2. High and high, crushed it, it's a grand slam. Swing and a miss, thankfully it's over, but Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it?